uh, for the uh, the war with the U.S. that ended in 1975, and I was born like in nine, the 1990s. So, um, like even the war is not that big part of the identity for us anymore. Um, so, and we we are much more developed now uh, compared to back then. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hi everybody, welcome to Coffee and Geography and um, believe it or not, the person I'm speaking to now is an ex-work colleague of mine, and the, she's the only work colleague of mine who's seen the inside of my house, um, albeit only virtually. Um, but it is absolute pleasure to see you, Lynn. Uh, Lynn Ho, my ex-colleague from the World Energy and Meteorology Council. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, and it's been wonderful because the last time I actually physically saw you, was it, was it actually at the conference in Denmark? Yeah, I think it's on uh, in twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Yes. Oh, because I remember the last, the last. Yeah, because that's it. Because you, you only turned up for one day because you were busy. Um, yeah. You could only make one day, wasn't it? And I remember like seeing you, and I ran over you and gave you the biggest hug. You're like, "What, well, Kit?" <laughs> oh, yeah, I still remember that. Oh, yeah, but it's absolutely great. So to introduce you to everybody, so Lynn is a thinker, joker, and dreamer. She can be nerdy or artistic, serious or chill, spontaneous or (laughs) well-planned. Lynn loves enjoying uh, nature and spending days solving problems on her computer. Um, And she is currently a PhD student specializing in energy meteorology. And of course, that's how we came to know each other because when we worked for WEMSI, as we call it for short, you know, it was all about combining meteorology and energy, all that kind of stuff. And we may talk about that. So yeah, how's it so... How's your PhD going? You uh, you told me that you've got is it a, a year left or? Yeah, this is like my final year in wow. my contract. So uh, yeah, a lot of things going on, and uh, I'm trying to finish my first paper. And uh, yeah, it's been like uh, up and down, like tough time, but also I also enjoy very much like exploring the the topic that I want mm. to learn about. Uh, and energy meteorology is like combination. Uh, between like just meteorology but also the application yeah uh, for the energy sector so for me it's a interesting topic and also it's fairly new uh, so a lot of things to work on yeah and when when I when I started working for Wemsey and I, and I met you through Wemsey I was I mean obviously through someone with a meteorological uh, background myself of course I knew that there was links to energy you know with wind and solar and all that kind of stuff but I never knew how deep and intricate um the connections were and the other thing i didn't know was how much there was a need for a, a non-profit like wemsi to make the connections between energy and, and um, climate scientists because those connections weren't strong to start with but and that's why we've got what we've got as you say it's a growing it's a growing um industry now the whole energy meteorology thing and uh, you're part of that process and, and I'm, I'm i'm really 
pleased that things are going well for you and you fully, fully deserve. And I can't wait to hear that you've become Dr. Lin Ho because that's going to just sound so freaking amazing. Um, so, so yeah. So what, what, what is, uh, remind me, what is the title of your, of your thesis or, or can you kind of summarize it for us in a, in a layman's way? Cause, uh, cause we've just got like lowly geography teachers listening and people like that. <laughs> oh no. Um, I mean, I haven't got like the full title for the thesis yet because yeah. I'm still on the ongoing process. Uh, but my first paper is about um, like uh, using, of course, I'm using like meteorological data, hmm. uh, and reanalysis data for specifically uh, to trying to understand uh, what kind of weather condition, um, especially large scale weather conditions. So like around the whole Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, can cause problematic events to the energy sector. And I'm looking at renewable energy sector, just um, wind and PV or photovoltaic solar power. And um, what I'm interested in is trying to look at the low production events. So we know that like trying to uh, increase the share of renewable energy require uh, more knowledge and um, information from meteorological side. And uh, one of the problematic events is like when a boat, wind and solar power uh, are low, mm-hmm. uh, which can happen when the wind is still and also cloudy conditions. So like you don't have that much of wind energy and solar energy at the same time. Yeah. And if it happened at the large scale, so like imagine a lot of countries all together have low uh, production at the same time. And when we reduce our fossil fuel um, sources, uh, it will become a much bigger problem uh, mm. because like, you can't transmit energy somewhere else. And also uh, storage has uh, their own limitation uh, capacity. Um, so I think that's something that like we need to deal with um, if we want a bigger share of uh, renewable energy. Um, so, so that's what I'm looking at at the moment, using the data from meteorology and uh, trying to model it into wind and solar power, yeah. and then using the past uh, decades uh, to uh, identify which kind of uh, weather pattern can associated with that low production events. Um, yeah, and there are only a few papers about that, and um, yeah, it's also a growing um, section that. Um, uh, and I got a lot of questions about um, my paper from uh, when I went to the conference. Like now we only have online conference. Yeah. Uh, but I got quite a lot of questions uh, from the energy sector also that they, they're also interested in it because, um, yeah, that happened already. Uh, and um, they, they, are, uh, they are also anticipate more in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Mm, that's what my first paper is about and then uh, later on I hope to develop it further into like how the meteorological condition develop over those events and that would be a thesis around that topic I haven't right. got the title yet but yeah it would be around that <laughs> area. Just, oh, this is so fascinating and and I had to learn this kind of stuff and and so thank you so much for kind of like helping me to understand this stuff when we worked together but I had to learn all this stuff like from a friend I mean when I used to teach high school geography of course and and every UK high school geographer would and anywhere around the world would teach this kind of stuff will will recognize the whole Oh yeah, the limitations of solar power is that you don't get as much energy when the sun's not out and when the wind's not blowing, all this kind of stuff. But but that's just so reductive. You've got it's you've got 
the work that you're doing is to try and counterbalance that. And there is so much kind of data richness and potential for us to kind of manage our power systems to counterbalance this. So for example, if you do have a massive high pressure system with, you know, some kind of inversion or an intrusion of, I don't know, Saharan sand or something like that, which then dips the solar level down, but because it's high pressure, there's no wind, then okay, what do we do then? What's the what's the backup? You know, because it is it's too simple to say, oh that's okay. High pressure means no wind, but it means clear skies. Well not all the time. You know, so it's not as simple as that, folks. So that's why the work that Lynn is doing is so, so important. And the other thing, of course, that um, you may, you'll recognize this name, Lynn, is that um, last year for season one, I talked to Sebastian Stirl, um, the our, our friend from the, well, it was from the Free University of Brussels, who does the uh, renewable energy stuff in, in West Africa. And we were talking about seasonal forecasting, for example. So if you know the, so you were saying, if you know the meteorological, conditions that will bring about a low power state then you can and you can forecast that then you can manage your your grid systems and your power systems a lot more sustainably and make sure you've got enough battery storage you know all this kind of you know backups renewable backups and that kind of stuff so it is exceptionally important work and i'm just it's i'm so proud to know someone who's going to be part of that process it's just I mean, I'm also learning about that. Of so course. part of the PhD like learning about the topic. So I'm not expert in any sense, but uh, yeah, I also learn a lot from like doing research in this area. Um, and also I realized that um, um, the, the energy sector doesn't have that access into the climate mm. or meteorological data that we usually have, like we have a lot of data and model and projections, but from the energy sector is kind of like they are using kind of different data set. And also like yeah. sometimes they are not aware of all of the available data. Um, so yeah, that what we did uh, with WMC that we trying to connect the two sectors together. And yeah, I think that's an important job that, um, then there are a growing community that trying to do that as well. Yeah. And and folks who, who have got, if you've got students you teach who are, love this kind of stuff and they love data and they love all this kind of stuff, trust me, there is going to be such a need for that expertise. Like one thing that, that Lynn and I and the folks who we worked with we're trying to battle against is that one, not everybody uses the same kind of data. There is a lack of what you call standardization of using different kind of data that won't talk to each other, even though they're pretty much do the same thing. And the second thing is that quite a few companies, energy companies, whatever, are very protective of their data, aren't they? So there's a lot of intellectual property um, kind of issues and they don't want to share it because they think it will give their competitors an edge. So the other job that folks like Wemsey were trying to do. We're trying to convince people it's for the greater good and actually be beneficial to all these companies if they shared their data. So there's all these other things going on as well. And, and I do remember it's like, oh yeah, they've like working with the likes of um, Sue Hort in, from NCAR, for example, and Lauren de, uh, Lauren de Burr from, um, we used to be, is it RTE now, isn't he? Uh, uh, I think EDF so. EDF? Or, EDF yeah. He was at EDF, I think he's at RTE now. But trying to trying to get folks to get data to talk to each other for example so it's so fascinating anyway we're, we're at risk of going to talk about our, our old jobs now so um i want to talk about you i want to talk about you but I, I know that was a fascinating insight for people so um you're 
in Germany right now, but your home, as you've put on here, is 9,700 kilometers away. A 12-hour ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because you are from Vietnam. Yes, I am. Yeah, so... But you've traveled so much. I mean, you've traveled so much. You've you've uh, you've you've got a world map in your room where I can see just in the corner a nice National Geographic map there, um, and you have this you have this conflict where you where you're like you love traveling, you like going to see places, but you also like to kind of immerse yourself in where you are. So being in Germany, so you've lived in the UK, you've lived in Germany. Is there anywhere else you've lived outside of Vietnam? Oh, uh, yeah, just those two countries. So just- I. Uh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in Vietnam, did my bachelor there, and then went to the UK for master, and then doing a PhD in Germany. Yeah. So we have, so us 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 Westerners, we have. I don't think we know countries in Southeast Asia as well as that we should do. We have a very very, you know, there's a lot of history, of course, between <laughs> between the Western um, Western countries and Southeast Asia. A lot of it is not very pretty history. Uh, most of it's not very pretty history. Um, so I would say that when you kind of come, when you've come over here to the to the UK or to Germany and stuff like that, and you get talking about people about what it's like back home and um, what is it, is there anything that you say or anything that like surprises people of like about Vietnam or, or where you're from or what is it the things that you most like commu- communicate about when you talk about home? Um, it's not something surprised, uh, but, for me, it's kind of like realization that like we actually like in Vietnam, we learn more about the Western and the European history, hmm. much more than the like, European countries learn about our history. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah, so like I can talk with them about all the British history or German history. Uh, but then like for people in here, like our story, our history is like, quite new to them in a lot of sense uh, like the war or like the countries mm-hmm. so um yeah so i think like i'm just trying to to talk more about my history or like my country when i can because i i feel like you should also know about that sorry it's yeah. a bit but <laughs> yeah because i think it's interesting to know uh just different countries and also um how the impact from like europe uh, can be felt in uh, Vietnam um, and also I, I think they, they also find that interesting it's not like they are not interested in it it's just like uh, our history are not well taught or like yeah. of course it's not like the huge part of the world so I un- can understand that um, but I think it's uh, interesting for them to also to know from like first hand experience that like somebody come from Vietnam and like this is um where I live, where I grew up. So, what what would you say? So, so you've got you've definitely got plenty of interested people listening. Otherwise, they would they wouldn't be listening. I hope, I hope getting to know. So, what 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 would you like to say to people listening about about Vietnam, which maybe they didn't learn in school? I mean, like one big part about Vietnam, people normally heard about is like Vietnam War. So, yeah. a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I know about that war and. Um, Oh yeah, like my my father or my grandfather was there for the war or something. Um, I heard that quite a lot. Uh, but then I have to say that I was born like way after the war, so actually the war ended like 
how long? Um, I mean, depends on which war you're talking about. But for example, like, uh, for the uh the war with the U.S. that ended like in nineteen seventy five, and I was born like in nine the nineteen nineties. So um, like even the war is not that big part of the identity for us anymore. Um, so and we we are much more developed now uh, compared to back then. And also a lot of the thing um, we already have like left behind. So now we have a strong connection and um, a commercial um, relationship with uh, the U.S. and also with France. Um, so it's not all about war. It's like we have quite a long time with peace now and like we are developing uh uh also all sort of like commercial and also uh technology mm. and uh, industry and uh i think with like this um uh internet is kind of like fairly easy to access to information so we are not that far backward of course like we are not like a developed country yet uh but i think like if you are still having that uh image about vietnam war like with the picture from the mm. textbook or anything i think people would be fairly surprised when they come to vietnam now um yeah so 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 that's what i i usually explain that like it's not all about the war <laughs> yeah actually you've made me remind me sorry is that um quite a lot of people know that i'm a I'm a big fan of the um, the late Swedish uh, professor uh, Professor Hans Rosling, who who of the Gapminder project, who who really did a lot to to shift the the public, um, you know, understanding with regards to how actually much further the the rest of the world has developed, because a lot of us, especially in the West, are stuck with this in our mind frame that we still think the world the rest of the world is in the 1950s and the 1960s. So we've got this very, very backward view of what the world looks like. And it's a very, very Western colonial kind of way of looking at it, that we're all better than us and everybody's still back in the dark ages or whatever. So that comes to mind. And the other thing as well is that for, for uh, um, I can't say much on air in public, but for something I am, I am writing for a book I'm writing, I've, uh, I did a bit of research about um, renewable energy in Vietnam. And one thing I was surprised to learn, well, okay, okay, not surprised to learn from a meteorological point of view, but surprised to learn from an energy point of view, is that because the Vietnamese coast, particularly on the southeast coast, is quite windy because mm-hmm. of the, the, the shift in the winds and the monsoon climate and stuff like that, is that actually there is a, they're, they're on the cusp of a huge burst of renewable technology, particularly wind. And there's a lot of prospecting about wind energy in Vietnam. Yeah. And you've already got quite a good solid solar PV um, mm-hmm. um, industry as well. So do, do you know much about that, what's going on in, so in Vietnam with renewable energy? Yeah, that's also a surprise to me, actually. So uh, when I moved to the UK to study my master's, uh, it wasn't that much developed. It was on paper. It was uh, something that people were talking about. But uh, just one year and a half later, when I went back to Vietnam, I, I was so surprised that it went so fast. And yeah. I attended a conference and all of the technology from the from Germany, from China, from the US, uh, they have all the big exhibitions and like people really trying to implement uh, implement that and already like even in my hometown uh, there are a lot of pv panels uh, on the rooftop even like residential area 
And I actually went going back to Vietnam uh, for a holiday, but I also will visit a friend who is uh, an engineer for the wow. wind offshore project that you were talking about. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm also excited that he said that he will bring me around to show like how the wind offshore project is going on. Um, and, and it's really a big project and um and also uh wind offshore is something that like more adjustable compared to PV power. Yeah. So um a lot of things going on and with a very fast uh, pace. Um yeah, and I was surprised as well, but it's actually put Vietnam in quite a large part in the world map of renewable energy. Yeah. And I'm happy that I actually studying about this area that uh, uh, there's something useful when I go back to Vietnam. Yeah, and um, I think the, the the thing that I most recently read was uh, I think it was Siemens Gamesa, the um, the uh, the energy the engineering company who've uh, who have been contracted to help support develop the the largest on well the largest onshore wind farm anyway in Vietnam. And I imagine that they might be involved in the offshore ones as well. But it's, yeah, I mean, yes, just I know that just solar and wind alone in Vietnam has a huge, huge potential. But then, of course, you've got the currents that 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 run through past the coast as well, which could potentially useful for for tidal as well. It's just oh, it's just so much exciting potential there in Vietnam. And I can definitely see them becoming a leader in Southeast Asia, at least anyway, with all their expertise. And you say you've got a friend who's going to be involved in that, like physically. It's going to be, that's pretty cool. I'm very yeah. jealous you get to go on a tour or something. <laughs> I'm happy with that. Like in my job at the moment, I haven't got the chance to go on field trip yet. Also because of the pandemic. Sure. But also mostly I work on the data. So when I got a chance to go to the wind farm, I was like, "Yay, yeah, just let's go!" <laughs> yeah, come on, folks, get come on. All these folks were doing this amazing work behind, you know, the scenes and on a computer, crunching your numbers, your data. Come on, give them a few trips to, you know, to some of these yeah. places. Let them see where their data is going. You know, yeah. There you go. Brilliant. Well, oh, I'm so excited now. I've, I've, I've uh, I almost. Oh, this is so sad. There was. I, I ran a field trip for an extracurricular geography group when I used to be a teacher. Um, and the idea was we were going to take a boat out to the uh, wind farm just off the coast of uh, Great Yarmouth, which is called Scroby Sands. So we were going to get on this boat in Southwold and we were going to speed up uh, along the coast and go visit and then go around this. And it was, oh, we were so excited. And it was like, there was me and these bunch of uh, kids. But unfortunately, as you can imagine, um, because the wind, because because the weather conditions weren't appropriate, we couldn't. We had, we had to call it off. So we just we just went around the marshes around Southfold. We, were, you know, but uh, you know, so I, I missed out on the opportunity. But I have been up a wind turbine, everybody, um, and that is oh, so jealous. <laughs> well, this this was the. Um, it's now closed, unfortunately, because the place didn't do very well. Uh, it wasn't. It was very environmental and socially sustainable, but it wasn't very economically sustainable. So they, they went under because because it was uh, not economically viable. And that is the uh, the Green Britain Centre or the Ecotech Centre um, in Swatham in Norfolk here in in the east of England. And it was the I think it was the only wind turbine in the world that had um, an enclosed observation deck just underneath the hub of the wind turbine so you'd go inside you'd go up a spiral staircase and into this observation deck 
and, and it was a, it was a working turbine, so the blades would be going round. Everything like, it would be wobbling as it should do structurally, and all that kind of stuff. But it closed down, and no no one's been able to access it now for about five or six years. It's so sad. Oh, so that was before I was there because I would feel um, a big regret that I didn't have the yeah. chance to go there when I was I th- there in Norfolk. I think that I think there might be a. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there was a second somewhere else in Europe of a similar one where you could go in the observation deck, but but the one in Swaffham was the only one open to the public. And and I used to we used to take school groups up there all the time, and it was oh, it's such a shame that they've shut down. It was such an amazing resource. Hi, folks! A chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating, and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. Let's let's uh, let's move on now because we haven't talked about your 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 drink, um, Lynn. Because no. we're we're having a cup of cup of tea or cup of coffee. What have you got today? I actually have chocolate, hot chocolate. Ooh, <laughs> Not something chocolate. so fancy like I. I drink hot chocolate since I was a child, and I just keep that habit. And <laughs> I don't really drink coffee or tea that very often. Uh, okay. So, like, just hot chocolate all the time. Like, is it a particular brand? Is it, is there a, like a, a thing that you just grab the nearest thing off the shelf or? Uh, this is like now chocolate Swiss, so oh, yeah. from Switzerland. But I actually just like grab whatever I think that's okay. So I prefer to have a lot of cocoa in it. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. Oh, okay. Just like my wife. She's like, it's got to have a certain minimum cocoa kind of level. Otherwise, it's not interested. So. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, but I guess there were more like hot chocolate in the UK than in Germany for some reason. I couldn't find that many brands in here. <laughs> So I just stick with the one that I find that's okay. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, I think I think we've had one other person drink hot chocolate while they've been on the podcast. So is it yeah. a sour bit? Uh, does it sound a bit childish? But <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, what is what is it? So so back it back in Vietnam. What what usually is the drink of choice in Vietnam? Um, there's a wide range of choices. Uh, a lot of people drink coffee for sure. Yeah. Um, and like when you go out, you can drink beer as well, of course. Uh, tea, a lot of people drink it, but like old, I think like the older generation drink tea, like the proper green tea with just tea. But younger yeah. people now just drink uh, milk tea, and uh, including me. So I also, <laughs> if tea it would be milk tea, like not the milk into tea in uh, um, the UK, but rather like a sweetened milk tea, like I think from Taiwan. So okay. It's, yeah, it's a young trend, but um, oh. yeah, just a lot of different things that people drink. Yeah, because I, I had this picture in my head of like someone like, like, oh, they're just brewing some tea, stick some milk in it. But no, it's an actual sweetened kind of, and it's called, is it called milk tea then? Is that its actual name? It, it's called milk tea, 
but um, yeah, it has like more condensed or evaporated milk, oh, and it's mixed with uh, bubble tea. Oh, yes, yeah, also milk bubble tea. Sorry, uh, okay. it's more cold. In the translation, is in Vietnamese than milk tea, but like in English, you may call it bubble tea because there's also uh, tapioca. Um, ah, in that. gotcha. So it's kind of like a snack in the sense that you can chew the tapioca when you drink it. Okay. And uh, it's had quite a high calorie in it, though. But, uh, <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say I'll give that a go, but I don't think I should get hooked on it. Um, I'm trying to keep my 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 weight down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. All right. So, Lynn, I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> I've just I've just realised that when we talk about this, because this is this is spill the beans now, and what's going to be very very, what's quite hilarious about this is that the thing that you've told me for spill the beans. You literally, well, pretty much spilt the beans because you say that you've got, you used to have terrible motion sickness. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. and it says you even threw up while on a motorbike. Wait, was did you have a helmet on? And <laughs> um, Do you mean like the trip when I went with my uncle and I just threw up on his shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, it's, oh. it's just even a motorbike. Like normally we ha- like people have it with cars or but. Even on a motorbike, I can grow, I could grow up. So. <laughs> so is is it was it like terrible motion sickness? Would you just like would you just like like dread getting in a vehicle of any kind? I'm like I'm gonna be sick, and then you had to like look out a window and all the time. Like I'm guessing you're under someone who just like cannot read on a on a in a oh, car or something oh, like that. No, I told in the past uh, I had a very terrible motion sickness. So oh. basically. Um, I try a lot of me- a lot of different methods, um, trying to, like in the Vietnamese methods, like sniff some mandarin or like okay. chewing some chewing gum or like looking out in, at the window, as you said, or trying to keep my head still or, but nothing works. Like I can have like terrible motion sickness to the point that like I threw up so much that when I get off the, the car or like. I basically like couldn't remember where I were and I was and um sometime like there was a time that actually the driver had to look for me because I, I just like sat there and like couldn't get back and like couldn't even remember to get back to the car. Oh, no. So <laughs> uh, my mother even told me like how can you like study abroad or like travel with that terrible motion sickness. But oh, yeah. Yeah, after a while, like, um, I I learned uh, to adapt to it, like, um, and now I'm very kind of proud of myself that when the latest time, the recent time that when I went back to Vietnam, and I was on a car and it, it can even like walk around and take some stuff for the other people, and I I feel fine, yeah, and like now I kind of like, uh, get over with that motion sickness, um. Not as good as like I can read all the time or I can work on the car, yeah. but still much better than I was before. That's really made me realize something, to be honest, and that's motion sickness in that sense. And what you just said, in a, in, a, in a world where we move all the time, we travel all the time, we have to travel all the time. I imagine that can be so debilitating and really reduce the level of accessibility to people who have like severe motion sickness, like as you just said, like your mum said to you, 
how are you going to be doing the stuff that you want to do? How are you going to be traveling if you have this terrible motion sickness? And um, did you ever get that sense? Like when your mum said that to you, like, you know, actually, I actually quite am worried about nervous about, I want to go traveling, but I'm worried that I actually physically can't. Oh, I'm very stubborn in that sense <laughs> that I, I knew that like I had that motion sickness, but even when I want to, I wanted to travel, I still go for it. Like, despite <laughs> that motion sickness, like I threw up and then I, I got on the trip. So it's. Yeah. Like, uh, the good thing is I can recover pretty fast after, uh, like the motion sickness. Once I get off the car, um, I can just like stay there for like half an hour and I, I feel okay. Okay. So, um, yeah. So I think that's also how I could got over, get over it. Uh, there was a trip that it was so bad. Like I got on the airplane and then the train for 12 hours and then the car and, oh and I threw up so much. And then it, at some point it just stopped. And then <laughs> afterward it's like, kind of like, I think my body just say, uh, yeah, I have enough. Uh, it's okay yeah, now. Like, you know what? This is just pointless. Let's just stop this. Let's, let's stop torturing Pauline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Maybe that helped if anyone <laughs> wants to try. Just keep, not yeah. recommend it, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have stories to tell. You know, obviously running so many geography school field trips, you, you you know, with so many, with hundreds of kids over the years, there's obviously going to be plenty who get motion sickness, right? And the amount, I mean, the kids who know they get motion sickness, but they will still go on their phones in the coach, or they will still, you know, look at some, read some, whatever you know they will still do it there was this there was this one time when i took some kids up to yorkshire and they're like and not only did i get motion sickness but when we had our pit stop before we got into the yorkshire dales when the roads were quite windy and quite bumpy this one particular child decided to stuff themselves full of sweets and all that kind of crud right so of course like we all we we almost make it like this one kid like says uh, mixed directly i'm starting to feel a bit ill and i was like oh i knew it i knew it but and we were only, we had, we'd been on a six hour journey by this point and we were only 15 minutes away from the field center but it but we almost made it and then there was like mixed directly such such has been sick in the back of the minibus oh no <laughs> we had to pull over just the minute oh so there's that um and actually there's um one memory that comes to mind as well is the um i had a uh a wonderful young student, um, bubbly and bright, always, always cheerful, called uh, called Katie, and Katie got terrible motion sickness. And what she had to deal with it, she had this, she had this armband, this kind of bracelet, um, where it had like a, a bit of a thicker bit to it, which sat right over um, the kind of pressure point on her wrist. I said, okay, that's really nice, that's because. My initial reaction as a teacher, of course, is to say that's not Scott uniform type. But then I was like, no, hang on a minute. There's going to be a reason. It's good. So I went over and she was on a field trip. So I said, that's really nice. I really like that case. So what are you wearing that for? Rather than, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I've always got car sick and all this kind of motion sickness. It's, it's actually it's, it's, it's called an acupuncture like, pressure band or something like that. I was like, oh. And she said, whenever I wear this, I never get motion sick. So it's really weird. So, yeah, it's kind of like these bands that you can get on your on your wrist and you can get like really basic medical ones or you can get like really pretty ones that have got beads on them and stuff like that and oh i remember uh back in the day uh there was something called like a sticker not wearing on your wrist but rather like behind your ear okay yeah 
and uh, some people say that have it didn't have me. Uh, I think I am kind of like <laughs> the very <laughs> bad case. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I think it's also some pressure point as well that people said. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure now people are still using it. Uh, and I don't really understand the mechanism. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I I haven't looked into I haven't looked into you know the the research or the data or information to know if these things are just just have a placebo effect or whether they actually mm-hmm. do work. But you know, Kate Katie is you know she swore by it and she and I do remember when she was in the younger years, year seven and eight. I do remember her getting really really sick. And um, but she ended up taking GCC geography, so of course she was going to go on more field trips. And I was a bit nervous from her, but, yeah. but she was fine. And then she said she swears it was those bands that she was wearing. So <laughs> fair dues. And I, I doubt Katie, you're listening. But hi, Katie. Hope you're doing all right. You must be in your mid twenties by now. <laughs> oh, I feel old. Um, but of course, the other part of Spilled of Beans, Lynn, is is that you um, kind of like geography and 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 kind of this kind of science climate science energy science wasn't always your background was it i mean was it medicine that you you used to do or you used to be specially well not specializing but they used to focus in yeah so i actually did my bachelor's in um dentistry okay um, oh i didn't know that yeah uh in vietnam it's called like it's a doctor a doctor degree so it's some medicine background uh it's not totally in dentistry in here, but it's kind of focused on not only the teeth but also like the jaw and then this like facial area. Oh, gotcha. But yeah. anyway, like for short, you can call that dentistry. Oh right. So what what made you decide that that wasn't for you then, and you just wanted to change track? Was it was it because this was more appeal? What you're doing now was more appealing, or you just like was there something about that you're like mm, actually no. <laughs> Yeah, it's more on the second case, actually. Um, <laughs> I did that for like two or three years and I realized that this is not my thing um, and it's not a career at, uh, that I want for uh, the long term. Uh, but still, I finished the degree uh, so that I can get a bachelor's degree so that I can move on to the master's degree without having to do the bachelor's again. Okay. Uh, but uh, while during... Uh, Doing that, uh, my bachelor's degree in dentistry, I already tried to uh, discover what I really want to do, and um, I realized that like, I traveled quite a lot, and I really enjoy to see uh, all kind of natural landscape and understand about the cloud or the wind, yeah. which sounds uh, very strange to my classmate, like <laughs> talking about the wind with the dentist, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't know a lot about the field back then. So that's, um, I chose to do something in um, environmental science. Uh, but uh, gradually, I learned more and more about the field and then find the niche that I want to do. Yeah. But back then, it's quite a change. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes, like, uh, I still remember, like, when I buy the book, uh, I bought a book about uh, Jet Stream. The jet stream uh, from Team Woolens. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, so the first page I wrote down something like it's been a long journey because, like, five years ago, I didn't even know what is a, what a jet stream was. And now I'm reading that. So, yeah. Um, it's a big change to me, but I'm happy that now I'm here because, oh. like, I feel that this is something that for me, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's never too late, anybody, to find your niche. If, if you feel something's not quite right, it's never too late, you know, to, to kind of change tack. Um, you can definitely make a big jump, as Lynch just said, from dentistry to kind of, you know, more environmental science kind of stuff. And the other thing is, it, geography does get you eventually, doesn't it, everybody? So, <laughs> yeah. So there's a good story in that. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Right, uh, Lynn. So coming up to the uh, grand finale, if you like, of our chat is uh, we are all geographers. So um, for folks, regular listeners, you know what this is all about. For those listening to us at the first time, and Lynn is your, uh, what a wonderful first guest to listen to if it's your first time. But we are all geographers is where we connect all of our guests together um, by coming up with a word where the guests can link however they so wish. It's not a challenge. It's not, it's, it's not, there's no right or wrong answer, as we say as teachers. It's simply how the person would like to make a connection with it. So last week, you heard from uh, Louis Viss, um, geography teacher with French uh, background, uh, lived, lived in Belgium uh, with Dutch grandparents. Crikey. And um, he was challenged by Helen Illis from Estonia with the word openness. I did a great job with the word openness. But Lynn, Louis has given you a really great word, I think, for you because of all the traveling that you've done and, and your strong sense of self. And Louis has given you the word identity. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's quite a nice one, quite a good one. So what everyone, what Lynn's got to do, everybody, is that Lynn's got just 30 seconds to just talk about the word identity and how it links to geography in the loosest sense. So it could link to, you know, Lynn's sense of place or how she thinks about herself, whatever it is. So you ready for that, then, Lynn? Do you think you can talk about identity for 30 seconds? Yes, I think it's an important part of my Okay, so when, when you're ready, just make a start. And I'll tell you when your 30 seconds are up. So over to you. Okay, so um, identity is something that you uh, develop over time. I think uh, I'm, I'm not trying to like discover my identity, but I think I deliberately trying to build the identity that I want. And it's really helped me to navigate, uh, especially when I go to different countries and question about which part of me is me and which part of me is actually adapted from somewhere else. But eventually all of that is what built your identity. And um, I think it's also important to know that uh, you can uh, use your identity as your um, tool to deal with um, the surrounding area, uh, your surroundings, like, um, like I am defined that Vietnamese so that I know that uh, my history and um, yeah, I, I just think like identity can change and it's you uh, can make that decision. Um, so don't let it be something that fixed to you yeah. and you have to follow it. I totally agree with yeah. you there. Yeah, we we went over thirty seconds, but that's absolutely fine because I, I I've I've very rarely stuck to thirty seconds. You know, people want to get it over and done with, but but when when you come up with something, you know, that just we want to listen to that was a nice little. And I was just sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, all about identity, not being fixed, not being um, bound by it, but you know, allowing it to nurture and change. Yeah, that was a nice one. Thank you, Lynn. Um, so uh, our next guest is what would you like to give them? What word would you like to offer our next guest and how what they can interpret? Um, I, I thought about that, um, <laughs> but like I didn't have 
uh, a word back then, but now looking out of the window and it's a very nice sunny day uh, after like a storm from the polar vortex just yes. a few days yeah. ago with all the hailstones. Yeah. Um. So I think they maybe this just one word like hay, like like hay market or hay fever or like okay make um. Hey, H A Y, not H E Y. Yep. Yeah, H A Y. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just have this warm feeling when I think about that. When you see the sunshine, and you know it would be a nice day. So, Although, when thinking about hay and things like that, when the sun comes out for me at that time of year, it makes me sneeze because <laughs> of my hay. <laughs> I'm bit. sorry for people who nah, have that's hay. that's fine. <laughs> it's funny, it's, it's, but it's really interesting how my nose has started tingling just at the, at the mention of it. But I like mm. that word. That's really, really good. And yeah, and of course, the storms. So for people listening to this, perhaps months after this is released where the storms you're referring to of course is um uh like storm eunice and storm franklin i think it was franklin i think that they called it uh which of course moved across europe because that really really intense jet stream mm-hmm. and that pressure gradient and and you know as you said the polar vortex so oh you know we, we can we can start talking all that gobbledygook can't we right okay so our next guest the word for you is hey right lynn is there anybody you'd like to say hello to? Any shout outs? Anybody you want to say? Um, um, yeah, I want to shout out to people that I worked with you know, in Wemsey uh, back mm-hmm. in uh, Norwich. It was yep. a very nice time for me. And also all of the wonderful people that I would love to have more connect with. Yeah. Um, like, except for the pandemic, I couldn't travel around otherwise. It would be very lovely to uh, to talk to them again. So yeah. Alberto, Lauren, uh, Luke, and you, of course. <laughs> yeah, it'd be good to catch up with all those folks, wouldn't it? And I know, I know you're not, I know you're not active on social media, but um, you do have a Twitter account which you use to kind of monitor what else is going on. But in case people do want to give you a follow and, and want to kind of um, connect with what what um, with you, so what what is your Twitter handle? Um, yeah, I, I'm hoping that maybe later on I can have something, especially when my first paper published. Uh, but at the moment, there's not much going on there. But my Twitter account is Lin Ho Chang. So uh, I spell Lin Ho Chang, yes, that's L I N H H O T R A N. Yes. Yep, wonderful. Well, great. Well, um, Lin, I've really, really enjoyed catching up with you. It's been too long um yeah and uh, it's just been absolutely amazing just to listen to how you've gone on from being that that fresh-faced intern at Wednesday and and like being a, being a part of something which which I strongly believe is is crucial to you know our our mitigation and adaptation methods uh mitigation and adaptation efforts to climate change you know and I think work that you're doing is absolutely crucial and and uh, yeah, so thank you for all you're doing. And I'm really, really excited to see uh, the work that comes out from all of your PhD and your thesis and everything. And good luck with it. And have a lovely time in Vietnam with your family next week. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And it's been a very much pleasure to talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at Coffee Geog Pod.
and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.